I'm thrilled to have here as our guest this week, Jess Farb, who is the directing attorney for the San Francisco Office of the Immigration Center for Women and Children. Jess, can you hear me? I can. Awesome. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. So can you give everyone some background on the Immigration Center for Women and Children? Just the, I know that you're going to be, you have a kind of a presentation that you're going to be giving in a few minutes, but if you could, and maybe this is part of it too, but just give, give everyone a little bit of the historical background. I think that would that'd be really great to put it into context. Sure. Yeah. The Immigration Center for Women and Children was founded uh, back in 2004 in Los Angeles. And we um, were just one office then. And now we have expanded into five different offices around the state of California, as well as one office in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, we started out with the purpose that we continue to um, uphold, which is to uh, support immigrants who are survivors of crime, uh, whether that be here in the United States or for some uh, abroad, um, or also those children who have been abused, abandoned, or neglected. And then what we do is help them be um, able to show to immigration services here um, how they are eligible for certain types of humanitarian-based immigration relief. And then we can get our clients um, lawful status, ability to work, ability to get a social security number, uh, driver's license, all those fundamental things that can be very difficult for someone um, who's new to this country to get. Great. Thank you. So, yeah, so let's um, let's get right into it. What else would you like to tell us about the center? I know when we first talked, the idea was that you would actually be giving more of a talk and telling our listeners about it, which we would like for you to do, but uh, it's not, yeah, you, you don't feel like you have to run the show. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, just, but if you, I think it'd be great because it, it is, a, I think the work you're doing is very important. And especially in a city like San Francisco, where there is, where immigrants have historically and continue to be a really big part of our fabric. And, uh, the work that you're mm -hmm. doing is is really great. So if you could maybe tell our listeners more about the Immigration Center. Sure. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Thanks. Yeah. So um, we in San Francisco, we are in the mission and also we have a downtown office and uh, we work with folks who are in all different stages of their immigration status. So just for the layperson. Um, you may know, hopefully most people know by now, we don't use the terminology illegal, <laughs> but that is certainly alien or illegal are terms that our um, adversaries <laughs> might use. Um, but we help those who are from the stage of undocumented, um, where you don't have any documentation of your status to as far as someone who might be a legal permanent resident and then they wanna get permanent stat, like permanent, permanent status, um, which would be becoming a citizen. Uh, so there's all different stages along the way where someone can find themselves from either undocumented or having this temporary type of protection called deferred action, which many of you may know Obama put into place what's called DACA. And that's for so-called kids, but now they could even be as old as uh, in their 40s at this point, because uh, that policy has been around for a while. So deferred action is a very temporary type of protection to defer the action to deport someone. Um, and then there's these also kind of um, in between stages of having a visa or having non-immigrant or immigrant status. So then having a green card and then finally we get to graduate our clients and hug and kiss goodbye when they're becoming citizens. Um, and that's really the end of the road. Um, so we're, we're helping all along those stages and the focus is really for us to work with those who've been at the extreme margins and have been victims of some humanitarian based uh, crime or abuse uh, and then help them find that path with an immigration law to get status. And where do most of your clients come from? What countries? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so all over the world, uh, the biggest population right now is from the Northern Triangle region. So El Salvador, Honduras, and, um, and not Nicaragua, and Guatemala. Um, and then just being like our border country, Mexico, is kind of the next place that we are seeing clients coming from. And then, um, as you, you may have seen in the news for listeners like Venezuela as a big um, 
uh, country where, where folks are fleeing from right now. Um, we focus on uh, the Spanish uh, language uh, population just because that's what our staff speaks and it's a big population here in the Bay Area. Um, but certainly there um, are other organizations who kind of focus in on different language groups uh, like the API um, population, all the different Asian Pacific Islander languages. Um, so yeah, our focus is mostly because of the language capacity, um, working with Spanish or Portuguese speaking clients from Latin America. Uh, but we, we do work with clients from all over, um, especially if they can bring an interpreter or can speak English or Spanish. Do you find that you have clients who are, let's say, you know, from the from Nicaragua, Guata, uh, El Salvador, Guatemala, and, and Mexico, who are not where they don't speak Spanish. There, there are a lot of indigenous languages from, from these countries too. So ha, is that something that you're, that you're capable of dealing with and, and that you're finding to be something that you're seeing more of now than you used to? Yeah, yeah, good point. And, and that's always been the case, really, that since I've done this work, um, I started doing this work back in 2003 in San Diego, and I've um, been following it since then um, in California. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of folks coming from, um, like, who speak mom is a big um, indigenous language in Guatemala. Um, or, or many of the other hundreds of indigenous languages. And usually they speak enough Spanish for us to be able to make that connection um, and, and hear their story and be able to provide their story to, to immigration. Um, but when they can't, then we use either family, our friends who are, can serve as interpreters or professional language services. Yeah. So in the time that you've been, in the last few years, let's just say, there have been a lot of changes. Uh, when I f first started learning about the Immigration Center, for instance, Trump is president, right, uh, mm -hmm. which is no longer the case. Um, do you think that with, like, the, there's been, with a change in the administration, has there been a real perceptible difference in the work that you've been doing? And I'm not saying it would be a good difference or a bad difference, because I know that there have been issues with, uh, the, you know, the Biden administration's Mm -hmm. approach to immigration as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, there have certainly been differences, um, as you were kind of inferring, not all have been, you know, as we had hoped, it hasn't been just a panacea. Um, but when we first spoke and Trump was president, it was like death by a thousand paper cuts. Right. Like, it was just every little thing went wrong. Um, so it's, the Biden administration we've seen has, um, and, and key allies that we now have in the government, um, that I've been able to even directly work with and, and talk through some of the issues that, that um, became issues during the Trump administration or got worse during it. And they certainly have the, um, they want to change things, but being a bureaucracy, not all of that has been as quick as we had hoped. So, um, so the easy fixes have happened. Um, in our world, there's, you know, less paper cuts, <laughs> but then um, other things that, um, for example, um, the Biden administration is, is having to show this perception that they're hard on immigration in order to um, get some sympathy um, overall so that it doesn't seem like they're being too pro-immigrant. And so we've also seen kind of areas where they've tried to speed up the process of immigration court, for example, and it's just too fast and it's not, it's not effective. It's not efficient for anybody. Um, and, and it's not, it's not productive. It's not allowing folks to really get their cases heard in a proper manner. Um, so yeah, some of it's been sloppy. Um, I guess if you could think Afghanistan, maybe like sloppy, um, sloppy way of, of having it, certain things roll out. Um, but it's been, it's been a relief. It's been um, much easier, I could say, than, than during the Biden administration, then, sorry, than during the Trump administration. How does San Francisco city government figure into the work that you're doing? Yeah, so back right when Trump was elected, um, Mayor Ed Lee decided, like, we're not going to let um, Trump deport our immigrants. And so um, they dedicated a pot of funding to um, to give to or, or to um, have folks apply for um, from the nonprofit world so that we could represent 
uh, immigrants who are in removal proceedings and provide full scope free representation to, to them um, who for if they live or work in San Francisco. And so we became part of a collaborative of 12 different nonprofit organizations that are now serving hundreds of um, clients for free um, through the city of San Francisco, um, along with, I think you all may be aware of, um, the um, lack of alliances with ICE that San Francisco has. So being a sanctuary city and um, not collaborating with removal um, or ICE uh, raids, we haven't had any really um, mass or organized ICE raids uh, during during this administration. Yeah. Do you see where there is any pressure in the city to to change that policy? To reverse it? Yeah. No, no, I haven't. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so also in the time since you and I first started talking, we've had a global pandemic and that has, it's, and it's impacted pretty much every facet of, of life. How has that had a, how has that affected the work that the immigration center is doing? Ah, yes. Uh, I think as in most fields, it's just made everything harder. <laughs> Um, maybe not in most fields, but um, I always find it interesting when I, I hear like, oh, how long were you home for? And I was like, I was never home. We are essential workers. <laughs> um, so, um, and, and we saw a lot of actually our, our colleagues did stay home and tried to do the work long distance, but we found um, that we could do it safely uh, with clients in, in the office. At least we started just us being in the office because the work that we do with this bureaucracy, it's so antiquated that everything is paper. And so um, to try to do that from home and then get somebody who has a first grade education to sign a form through their smartphone that they really just use for Facebook <laughs> making phone calls um, was really close to impossible. And um, so we were able to do, we were able to roll out our services and keep them going safely, but also in person a lot um, because um, it just proved to be close to very slow, rather not impossible, but very slow um, going to try to do this work remotely. Um, so I think I think that was kind of the big thing that we're still still trying to come back from and, and be safe about and, and try to encourage our clients to get continue to encourage our clients to get vaccinated and boosted so that we can meet as much as we can in person with being safe. How did, did it affect your clients? Because I remember reading that during the pandemic, instances of domestic violence were up. So did yeah. you notice any of that in the the work that you're doing, uh, that there were reports of domestic violence or, or in any other way that the impacts of the pandemic had uh, an effect on your on the population that you serve? Yeah, I mean, in our little world, we just always see domestic violence because that's our world. So um you know on a on a grand scale we weren't tracking you know we weren't tracking whether it was up or down necessarily or, or we're just seeing it all the time um but i certainly read those reports and what we could see is that it just became more difficult for our clients to leave domestic violence relationships um for those who were still in them um because where do you go um and then also hard to more challenging we we're talking about the challenges before um just more challenging to to do a case remotely with someone who's in the same room with their abusive partner um where they can't necessarily go to a quiet space um to do that type of work which again led back to us wanting to invite people into the office where we could um but yeah i i certainly read that um we continued to have plenty of business and lots of people calling in and starting cases with us so um I, I would believe that it's true <laughs> that there was more. Yeah. So with the, the work that you're doing and it is like, it's not like just a general like aid organization, but it's very like really specific to, mm -hmm. to certain issues and, and to women and, and children. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, there, there are a number of immigration organizations, and I, I think a lot of them do really good work. How can people who can, can benefit from the services, how do they find out about what you're doing and what you're doing specifically? Because mm -hmm. I think especially if there is a language barrier, yeah, it could, it could be more difficult for people to find out about some of the work. Yeah, um, 
our services, the knowledge of them spread like rapid fire. And um, really now that we've been around in the Bay Area since 2010, uh, it's a lot of word of mouth, but also um, I used to go on Univision. Uh, it was every Wednesday, they, they used to have a um, like immigration law um, kind of topic and that reached 700,000 people each time I went on that. Um, so we just, you know, it was hard to even um, answer all the phone calls we got after we went on on that show. Um, but we, yeah, we get a lot of, there's a lot of word of mouth about services. And then um, we're really well connected to all the community-based organizations who are our allies in different areas. So fortunately, a lot of our clients start with a different social service. They're in therapy. They are, they have a social worker um, or they reported the crime to a crime to the police department and all those agencies have our information. Um, and then other agencies, they might end up at for, first or other nonprofits also know when we have capacity and when they don't. And so um, there's a lot of referrals among organizations, among um, law enforcement even, um, and the news. Yeah. yeah. So who qualifies? Like who, if somebody wants to, somebody thinks that they might benefit from your service, what is the, what is your vetting process? Yeah, so um, I am a self-proclaimed evangelist. So I will first talk, um, or I can talk here about the U visa in particular, because that is really our bread and butter. And uh, the U visa, so the letter U, like umbrella, um, but it really just comes from the alphabet and where that visa came in the alphabet when it was um, brought about in the year about 2000 and put into the law. But, um, can you just tell everyone mm -hmm. about like what the U visa is? Yeah, yeah. So the U visa is for uh, an immigrant who doesn't have a permanent lawful status, so who is not a green card holder, but has been a victim of crime in the United States and has cooperated with some level of law enforcement um, for the investigation or detection of that crime. And it's specific crimes that qualify. So they're, they're pretty serious crimes. There's a, there's a group of 30 crimes that qualify. Examples are domestic violence, um, a felonious assault, for example, someone being held up at gunpoint, um, child abuse, or even being the parent of a child who's a US citizen who has been abused. Um, are some of the more common ones we see. Um, so you've been cooperative, you've been a victim of the crime, and then you can show that you've suffered harm. Uh, so whether that harm was just emotional or mental, like if a gun was pointed at you, you may never have suffered physical injury, but um, severe emotional trauma definitely um, is common from that. Um, or physical injury, we have clients with broken bones who um, have lifelong injuries from crimes that they've um, survived uh, here in the Bay Area or throughout the country, and then we're working with them. So, so that's like that is one of the qualifications then uh, that you are asking you look for when you are interviewing new clients. Right. Yeah. And, and you were asking before, like, how does it work? How do they get in the door? Um, so we have an intake phone line uh, that they can call and we do a free screening at first, which we call our preguntas iniciales, our initial questions. It takes about 15 minutes. Ideally, if there's a police report, they've already emailed it or um, you'll see on our website where you can email it to or um, drop it off at our office. Um, or fax it to us even. We, some of our clients like to use a fax machine still um, or mail it to us. And um, that will help us guide that conversation even better if we have the police report in advance. But if that's impossible, then we go ahead and do the screening anyway. And we can about 85 to 90% tell, but just by that free phone screening, if the client, if the potential client might be eligible for our services. And then we would schedule them, invite them in for an appointment um, so that an attorney can do a full screening of both that and any potential other types of immigration relief they might be eligible for. Eligible for. So if someone is eligible, what is the process like? Yeah, so if they are eligible, then they would come to that first appointment with us. We'd have a total of about three appointments um, in order to get um, the golden ticket to move on and be able to file your case. You actually have to get law enforcement to sign off and confirm that our client has actually been cooperative. So sometimes that can be a holdup in timing or even prohibit someone from being eligible. Um, but once we get a whole packet together, it's all paper. Uh, there's no interview, um, no showing up in person with immigration. We 
send off that packet to the Nebraska Service Center, which is um, in Nebraska. Um, and it sits there for, for at this point, many, many years. Uh, they um, have said their goal is to speed up so that they are reviewing a case in 90 days, but right to give an initial look and give a work permit to someone while they're waiting for a full review. But right now there are over 200,000 people waiting for their cases to get reviewed. And they only review about 10 to 20,000 a year. And so it's slow going. Um, so we uh, have worked on a lot of pressure campaigns um, as well as even suing the government um, so there's some congressional action underway to try to both increase funding for this department and uh, change the process so that it's faster. But a lot of our representation is waiting. <laughs> and then we finally, um, when we're receiving um, work permits today, then we call our clients back in, we give them the good news. Um, they're able to have um, both lawful status, work authorization, be able to get their legitimate social security number. Um, and they have that for four years. And after just three, they can become a green card holder or lawful permanent resident. And then five years after that, become a US citizen. And what about for kids? Yeah, so for kids, um, they could also qualify for the U visa either in their own right or um, any adult victims of crime can include kids under 21. Um, but there is a special uh, type of um, protection for kids that's called the Special Immigrant Juvenile Status, SIG, it's sometimes called. And um, so kids who have maybe entered the country on their own with siblings, um, maybe apart from their parents, and they just have one parent here, and maybe the other parents out of the picture. SIDGE is for kids who have been abused, abandoned, or neglected by either one or both of their parents. Um, and so we work with kids to go into either family uh, court or what's called probate court to actually get an order to show that one of the parents or both of the parents are not able to take care of the child. Then we use that notice with immigration to file um, an application to show that they've been abused, abandoned, or neglected. Um, and that provides a pathway to a green card as well as work authorization. Um, and all these things are ways to prevent deportation or removal proceedings if someone has been caught by ICE or has been caught at the border when they entered the country. Uh, so are some of your clients like right now like in ICE detention? We have very few in detention. Um, most have been, or many have been in de detention, but have been released and have ongoing court hearings that they have to show up for or meetings with ICE where they're just checking in and saying, I'm still here. I'm going to show up to my next check-in. I'm waiting for this application to be reviewed. So, uh, so people can, let's say, be maybe like in a, I know that there are people who are applying for asylum who are being held now in Mexico. Uh, and like, can people who are in a, Mexico, in a, unless I have been in the United States and maybe are now in Mexico, and I'm, I don't know the particulars of how this works, but, but mm -hmm. do you have people who, let's say, are in like really precarious positions right now in terms of like legally, uh, who, who come to you for help? Yeah, I mean, we have um, some of our clients will sometimes. Um, call and be really scared because they don't even know, for example, where their child is. Um, so we've had calls like, I don't know where my child is. I haven't talked to her in three days. My, my cousin said she left for the US and I don't know where she is. Um, and so we can do some kinds of investigation where we can look up there if they have an, a number registered with immigration, we can look up to see if they're in detention right then. Um, we can, um, that's, that's the main thing we can do. Um, but otherwise it's like, unfortunately, like wait for the call because they'll call you, they know your number. They're going to call you as soon as they have that opportunity. Sure. Um, and then we can figure out, um, what the next steps are and how we can help. Yeah. Um, yeah. We need to take a quick break for those of you just tuning in. You're listening to Community Matters, which is a fairly new show to KXSF, uh, featuring different, Bay Area organizations. Today, we're talking to Jess Farb, who is the directing attorney for the San Fr from the San Francisco Office of the Immigration for Immigration Center for Women and Children. 
and we'll be right back. Before we kick 2020 to the curb, KXSF wants to thank all the local artists who drop by, either in person or virtually, to share their stories and their music. KXSF will continue supporting the local music scene in 2021, but we need your help. Please consider making a year-end contribution to Nonprofit Community Radio by going online to kxsf.fm and clicking on Donate. Thanks from all of us at KXSF 102.5 FM, San Francisco. Well, that might have been from 2020, but it still applies in 2022. We definitely could use your help uh, as the year is drawing to a close. Think of us when you're thinking about your year in giving. You could go to our website, kxsf.fm, to make a donation. And uh, switching gears to another organization that is very much worthy of your time, attention, and financial contribution is the Immigration mm-hmm. Center for Women and Children. How do you get most of your funding? Ah. From everyone who's listening, that's the of only course. way we can keep yeah. going. Yeah. Uh, uh, we are fortunate enough to, well, when we started, we only got it from our clients. And so, um, you know, we charge as little as we possibly could to be able to pay our staff enough for them to stick around. Um, and then over the years, we've built a um, reputation of doing good work. And so about um, about half of our funding now comes from, from outside um, state, local, um, and, and even some national funders, uh, some government funding, um, from the city of San Francisco, like I mentioned earlier, um, through our San Francisco Immigrant Legal Defense Collaborative, uh, we even get a little funding from the Mexican consulate, they'll help out Mexican nationals, which is really nice. Um, and then some clients who have um, higher incomes, we, we do still charge some fees. And then we do get some um, just generous donations from the community that can help out to support our services and keep our costs low for those folks who, who are paying um, and to, to help keep uh, our staff retained and, and recruited with, with proper salaries. Yeah. And how much do you charge your clients? Yeah, so it, it definitely, um, there's there's degrees of uh, variation based on family size and income um, for um, our, the U visa case I was, I was talking about um, that uh, would cost, if you were paying for it, $1,500 um, for, for one person uh, to do the whole case. Um, and then, yeah, with each person extra, it costs a bit more. Um, and then we do payment plans so that folks can can pay as they go along the way um, if needed. So if somebody comes to you and it's like, I really need your services, but I just can't pay this, is there any financial recourse for them? Yeah, so hopefully um, they would qualify under our California Department of Social Services funding, which is the state of California letting us um, do a bunch of cases for free under their funding. And so we'd try to get them in there. Or if they're from Mexico, we'd try to connect them with the consulate. So um, when someone really can't pay, then we we do our best to make sure they are in our, you know, about half of the clients who don't pay. Um, or we'll say, let's uh, talk again in a couple months and see how things are going. Um, but yeah, fortunately we receive enough funding that those who are in the lowest level of income are able to get some support. Yeah. Oh, great. So what about for people who are, after you interview them, you have, let's say do a phone intake, uh, and you deem that they're really not eligible for your services, but that there clearly is a need. It's just that you're not really the right, the immigration center for women and children is not necessarily the right, uh, avenue Mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. Are there other organizations and resources that you'll refer them to for assistance? Absolutely, yeah. So, for example, if they if their first language is Mandarin or Cantonese, then we'll probably say, "Oh, let's um, refer you to our API Legal Outreach, one of our partners who specializes in that um, that, that language, um, having that language capacity, or even um, because we represent." Um, Basically, all of our clients um, are, are survivors of some um, trauma or crime. Um, when it's learned that either the potential client or our current client has committed a humanitarian harm against someone else, although they may still be eligible for immigration relief and may deserve, you know, wholeheartedly to get that type of relief, um, that's um, where we kind of stop with our services and we would refer out. 
So, um, so for example, if someone came to us um, and they were a victim of a certain crime, but they had also committed domestic violence and um, then, and they admit to it, um, then we would um, refer them to our partners who specialize in criminal, um, in criminal defense along with immigration relief and um, provide them those uh, referrals and resources so they can get um, represented. Yeah. And I was wondering about that because I would imagine that if someone comes to you and says that they've been, they have a partner who has been physically abusing them, uh, but their partner might also be an immigrant and, you know, may not be here legally, that's got to be challenging because do you, you know, with the, the actions you take, you know, if this turns into something, it might result in someone being deported. And you could take a hard line and say, well, if someone, I'm not saying that you're doing this, but it's just that I think you never know that it's you know, where this is going to go. Mm. And you might say, okay, well, if someone is violent, they shouldn't be here. I mean, that's, you know, there are people who would say that. On the other hand, that might be somebody's parent that you don't necessarily Absolutely. want to, you know, yeah. even, you don't necessarily want <clears throat> for there to be, to separate the, the parent, completely separate the parent from their child. Right. No, that's a really interesting, complex um, issue that we deal with often. And I mean, I one thing, so say we're representing the the woman's spouse who's been abused by, by a man's spouse and, and she comes to us. And um, <clears throat> for example, for the U visa, um, he actually would not be eligible for relief through her. So there wouldn't even be a legal avenue for him. And if someone has been arrested for domestic violence, that's going to be on their record and it's going to come up in any type of immigration relief they apply for just based on the arrest and like when they take their fingerprints those results of the fingerprints will show so it generally is not going to even affect them the woman applying for her relief and putting his name in the pot like that usually would not elicit anything negative to him just based on her application it would be more based on the act that was done um and then like in another situation like maybe that man came to us and we found out like he had this record, um, but he also was a victim of this heinous crime of attempted murder. Um, and so we would actually go through the steps of, well, what actually happened with your wife? And we may get a he said, she said story. And if we don't have a whole trial, but if it sounds compelling then and we're not representing her already, then we would also consider taking his case. Um, and then we make the case before immigration like that um, despite his arrest for this crime, you know, he's, uh, these are all of his equities and hardships and especially considering that he's been the victim of this terrific crime um, that we would still take that on. So um, it's not, yeah, it's not super black and white how we do it or um, with immigration, there are certain like um, lines in the sand where they're not gonna even allow you to apply for something based on just your criminal record. Um, but other areas where if you just had an arrest, but maybe the charges were dropped, um, where you'd still be eligible to apply for different types of relief. So, so to be clear, some of your clients are not, they don't have to be female identified or, or children. You have clients. That no, are male no. Yeah. Too. Yeah. We, we work with male, female, transgender, all, all the different spectrum of, of, um, gender identity, um, adult or child. Yeah. Yeah. Have you noticed, as crimes against transgender people in this country are up in general, are you, have you noticed that you have more clients that are, that do identify as transgender or, or non-binary and where they have been victims of, of hate crimes? We do. And we, we have had those the entire time we've been in operation. Um, I haven't tracked exactly whether those have gone up or down, but um, they're, I would say just from... And I, or just from like seeing them across my desk, it seems pretty steady. That's yeah. that type of case. Yeah. Are, mm -hmm. are there any instances where you are feel the organization is legally obligated to report something to the like to the police? Like for instance, like if there are there any crimes where if somebody were to come to you and and say there was a, a crime that they are confiding to you, something that's happened to them or to somebody else where you've heard about it, where you, where you would have feel like, okay, that we need to, you know, to let the authorities know. I've not been in that situation yet yeah. 20 plus years, but yeah. I could imagine if someone told me we're a, like a, a 
buried body was and there's an open investigation I'd have to just tell but yeah there's there's not really that level of um hasn't been that level of uh reporting or, right. or need to report in our work yeah I, mean, I, w- I was wondering about that because i think there are some lines mm-hmm. of work where there is sort of this very very hard and fast uh, like confidentiality is is just is sacred I, mean, right. I think you know i think that's true in like psychotherapy situations is, is true i think in religious situations and i think i would think also in the work you're doing i don't mm-hmm. i don't know what the legal the issues around it and what is and what isn't i think there are sometimes that in like psychotherapy situations where if a person says they're going to hurt themselves or where they're going they're going to hurt another person i think that is at that point you need to re- report right. it uh but I, I was wondering if that was if that was true in the work that you were doing as well. Yeah, certainly in that same circumstance, we would um, want to to find help for someone who is saying they wanted to hurt themselves or take certain actions if they said they were going to hurt someone else. But that hasn't the second part one hasn't come up. Um, the first one, luckily, all of our clients have already been in therapy when they've had suicidal ideation. I mean, I, I guess one interesting. Um, confidentiality issue that's come up for us many times over the years and actually even just this past year uh, we were subpoenaed the the immigration center for women and children was subpoenaed um, this past year by um, the Solano County uh, uh, the uh, criminal defense attorney or it was the public defender I'm now like forgetting because it was it was about half a year ago now Um, and there's confidentiality of us with our clients, but then this the the criminal defense attorney is trying to prove up their case and trying to um, put at jeopardy the testimony of our victims, of our survivor clients. Um, and so then they try to make different like sleazy arguments about, oh, they're just making up this whole thing about child abuse because they want to get the U visa. Um, so we actually got a private law firm, a big law firm here in the city to represent us and quash, basically quash, not officially, but we got it thrown out. We didn't have to share anything about our, our representation, uh, or the client's case. Um, and the guy was, yeah, he he was trying to get a conviction reversed, but it didn't happen. Um, but yeah, it's in, that it becomes very interesting because I don't, I'm not, I'm not wanting to share anything, but I, we have in other situations, I've had to go on the stand in San Francisco and testify that my client came to my office and asked for a U visa. And then the public defender in uh, San, the public defender's office of San Francisco then argued that she, she was a liar and that, um, her partner never abused her, even though there were witnesses in a theater seeing him, um, you know, uh, really um, terrifyingly abuse her in front of all these witnesses. So um, it's it's an interesting issue that we do see in that circumstance, but I haven't really seen it in the first one that you were asking about. Yeah, we need to take another quick break. You are listening to Community Matters on KXSF LP San Francisco. We'll be back in just a minute. Hey, KXSF listeners and Bayview neighbors. Lucky Grocery Store is moving into the neighborhood with everything you love, all in one place. From local products to everyday items at prices you need. Check out the grand opening of your new Lucky Store today at Bayview Plaza at the corner of 3rd Street in Evans. KXSF would like to thank Lucky Grocery Store for their support. Okay, for those of you just tuning in, this is KXSF LP San Francisco. I am Pamela Louie doing Community Matters today, which is a fairly new show for us where we feature different Bay Area organizations that are making a difference in our community. One of them uh, is the Immigration Center for Women and Children, and I'm thrilled to have Jess Farb, who is the directing attorney for the San Francisco office with us today. Thank you for being here, Jess. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So what else do you think it would be? We, you know, we've been talking for some time now, and I know we've, we've covered a lot. What else do you think is really important for people to know about the work that the Immigration Center for Women and Children does? Uh, let's see. So I think uh, we've covered a lot. Um, there's also a type of 
legal status. That's less common, but it's it's good for folks out there to to understand is is out there, um, which is a self petition uh, for victims of abusive who are in abusive domestic violence relationships, where the abusive person is a legal permanent resident or U.S. citizen, and then the person who does not have status. Um, is unable to gain status because the one who does have status is using that as power control over the other person. And so back in 1996, they put into the US law that instead of petitioning with the spouse, you can self petition. And so you work with an attorney instead of with your spouse to prove up that you were married in good faith and that there is this abusive relationship going on. Um, so it's it's another avenue that Congress has um, has allowed to go in, to be in place uh, for immigrants who are unable to go through um, the process the normal way. Basically at every bend and turn of the immigration system, if you're trying to do something through a spouse, there's a way for them to take uh, advantage of you, of, of the other person. And so um, that was a way to, to try to, um, to resolve that. And that's one of, a, one of the areas in which we do a lot of work as well. Um, and that could be for a man or for a woman um, or any gender um, who's in a, um, who actually, um, was married lawfully to someone um, and then suffered the domestic violence. What about, for people, what about for people who are, let's say, are not, were not mar uh, lawfully married? I mean, for instance, in 20, you know, before 2015, there were a lot of uh, you know, same gender couples that were not married. They weren't recognized right. as being married couples. So, right, absolutely. And, yeah. yeah, so it was just four years after the self-petition became a thing, that the U visa became a thing. So um, although there's not a, a way around the marriage, the, the marriage part is there because you would have had to be married to actually lawfully gain status through the spouse. Um, and so instead of um, a workaround there, it's there, the other avenue for that person, if they reported the crime of domestic violence, would be through the U visa um, because there's no requirement with the U visa that you had any lawful relationship to the person who's committing um, the abuse, yep. including domestic violence. What other work do you see do the immigration center getting more involved in the future? Like as you get immigration in this country is it's always changing and, and immigration policy is always changing too. Where do you see that you're that uh, will be some of the greatest needs that you're going to have in, in the coming years? I think just um, responding to the demand that's always increasing uh, it, as more uh, immigrants are not doing well in their home country and are, are coming to seek either economic or safety, economic um, safety or, um, or just, um, you know, safety for their, for themselves uh, from harm. Um, we are just trying to keep up with the demand um, in the private bar, not that I'm in that, but both the private immigration bar, so private attorneys and um, the nonprofit world, there's just not enough people who speak Spanish um, or speak the languages of the immigrants to, to do the work efficiently and, and, and serve everyone who needs it. So, so there's wait lists everywhere. Um, there's not appointments available as soon as people want the appointments. I think one of the biggest um, challenges for us is trying to grow as quickly as we can while um, doing it conscientiously. Um, because, uh, there's just not enough, um, not enough services in anywhere. And what, uh, what would be the way to address this? Like people need to go to law school, yeah. <laughs> pass the bar, um, or just learn Spanish or an Asian Pacific Islander language, learn languages of the folks that are coming here. So that, um, cause we can make it work even if you don't have a license, a law license, we will, we'll match people up to those with the license. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's just a, it's a power of the people thing. Um, and every industry right now is having trouble hiring. So, um, including us, it's only gotten harder, um, for us with everyone else having trouble hiring too. Yeah. Well, I, I would imagine that people who are coming out of law school, especially if they have student debt, you, you know, go, you go and work for a corporate law firm, you're going to pay off your debt a lot quicker often than if you are in the nonprofit world. That's just, you know, the sad reality of the values of this country. Yeah. Except that there's loan repayment programs. So you yeah. actually can 
get all of those repaid if you dedicate yourself to to stick in with it. Um, so ah, there are, I did not know that. That's great. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So okay. we have lots of staff who get that all paid off. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah. For anyone out there who is uh, thinking about going to law school and, and going to law school because they want to really create some social change in our country, if you hear about that. Uh, yes. So I know we just have a few minutes left, but you're in the Bay Area. But I, the Immigration Center for Women and Children is active in other cities, too. Yeah. I, I think it was yeah. founded in Minneapolis, right? Oh, no. We were founded in Los Angeles. Okay. Um, I have my law license from Minnesota. Uh, okay. <laughs> they might have gotten it from there. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, our first office was open in Los Angeles in 2004. Then we opened up here in San Francisco in 2010, shortly after in San Diego, um, and then uh, the next office was uh, Las Vegas a few years ago. I was just at that office last month. It's doing well. And uh, we opened our downtown office in San Francisco just uh, last year. And actually that office, we are completely dedicated to helping out immigrant, um, what's called respondents. So folks who are in immigration court learn about that process. Um, so we don't do direct representation in that office. We're helping out folks prepare themselves, um, find an attorney, if we can help them match them up with somebody um, and uh, just give them like know your rights and know how this process works for immigration court. Um, that's what's happening down in our downtown office. Well, that's great. And is there, what type of online resources do you have for people who yeah. can't make it to the office? Can't make it to the office. Um, well, we do remote services as well. So if you can't make it to the office, then still call us or email us, and then we'll schedule schedule a remote appointment. And that downtown office also does remote orientations, um, so so you don't have to be in person to get services. So for those who prefer remote, we have that option. For those who prefer in person, we also have that. Super. So just with a couple of minutes left, as I know, it's like we're in. It's it was almost mid-December. It's still early, still the first week of December, right? But this is a big time of year for year-end giving, so I, I'd love to give you an opportunity to make a pitch for that. Yes. Uh, so it's the end of the year, and you're wondering what you should do with that money so that it doesn't so that your taxes are um, in a good place. Uh, you should donate it to the Immigration Center for Women and Children. It's really easy. There's a donate now button on our website. Um, just Google ICWC ICWIC and you'll find our website um, and we will do very good things with your money, which it all goes back into retaining and hiring our staff so that we can do the work to help these, our, our clients and, and the respondents who are he heading to immigration court. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here, Jess. I, I appreciate your taking the time. I know that you are very busy. It sounds like you're probably really overworked as well. Uh, in lieu of the well, you just told us that they, you have so many different clients and so few uh, staff members. Do you have volunteers at the organization? We we do. Like we just had. Well, we have um, student interns mm -hmm. uh, that end up being a really great opportunity for us because then it's committed certain number of hours. Um, whereas volunteers may just come for an hour or two, and then there's not enough time to train them until we get some something back. But um, yeah, we've had some really nice committed long-term volunteers as well as uh, some great interns who, who support our work. Oh, great, well, thank you. And if people are interested in volunteering, where should they go? Yeah, just go to our website and there's an info at um, uh, email that you'll see there to, to send us your resume and your availability and we'll, we'll see if we can make it work. Okay, super. Well, thank you again. And the, the URL is? Is www iquiclaw.org icwclaw.org okay super thank you thank you for being here i hope you have a great uh holiday thank you so much you all too right. okay sure so uh yeah thank you all for tuning in with just a couple of minutes left here on kxsf lp san francisco's community matters show which is something new that we started just a few months ago and we uh you know something that, that is important to us we are part of san, the san francisco community the station has been around in one form or another or kxsf has been around in one form or another for several decades and we definitely want uh the work we're doing to be reflective of the community so 
uh, this is this is something we're doing. And if you have anyone, if anyone has any ideas for any organizations you think we should talk to, let us know. If you have any feedback, any thoughts, please let us know. We're we're happy to hear what you have to say. Just don't use one of the five forbidden words. Although I guess if it's not an FM, it doesn't really matter. So uh, with just a couple of minutes left here, and let's I'm gonna put a little bit of music on real quickly before we kick things off and move on to the next part of our evening. This is Sugar Pie DeSanto with Soulful Dress. Keep me waiting. 